so we're in the, in the middle of a series. We're uh, titling this series, Promise Keepers. And uh, we've been poised ever since Christmas to uh, uh, give you guys some, some tools I think you're going to need going into this year. This is going to be a special year for you. Um, I believe it. I pray you believe it. God believes it. And uh, we, we talked about a couple weeks ago that we need to get our connection to God and our passion back. And that's so vital. Uh, everything that we do flows from that, that if we're not connected to God, then we're going to lose our passion for God and our passion for life. And then uh, last Sunday, Diamond spoke on the pain in the promise, that so often when you make a promise, uh, it, it doesn't come easy, that there's pain in producing uh, the promise, but there's always a harvest at the end of that. Uh, and then this morning, uh, I'm going to bring a message that I, I pray blesses you. It's going to be out of the book of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is a uh, very unique character in the Bible. He's a, a very ordinary guy. Um, his uh, profession is uh, he's a bartender. And uh, if God can use bartenders, I mean, my gosh, he could, he could use anybody. So um, we're, we're going to look at a, a bartender in the Bible. His name is Nehemiah. And uh, he's uh, at the top of his trade. He is the bartender for the king. And uh, he lives in the palace. And uh, he's living in comfort. He's living in ease. He's uh, kind of made his way up the uh, bartender totem pole. Uh, I mean, if, if you're, you're, you're at the top, if you're, you're serving the king. And uh, his uh, history, though, is he's a, uh, he's a Jewish uh, man. He uh, grew up in Israel. And uh, when he was very young, uh, the Babylonians came and invaded his hometown, invaded Jerusalem, uh, destroyed the walls, and they took uh, and they captured all of the uh, uh, men and workers of, uh, of, of Israel. And they made them become servants in their kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom and now the Persian kingdom. And uh, this uh, young man, Nehemiah, has made his way up, and now he's now the cupbearer for the king. Uh, but then he gets a, a letter. He gets a letter from his, his hometown. His, his family writes him this letter and, and lets him know how bad things are at home and that nobody has rebuilt the walls, the walls of Jerusalem that were once glorious and, and the temple that was once built in splendor is now in rubble and the people are being persecuted, his, his family, his ancestors. And uh, Nehemiah gets this letter and he's living in a good place. He's done well for himself, but his heart begins to break as he reads this letter. And uh, he begins to cry out to God on behalf of his family, asking God, you know, what should I do? What can I do? And this is his, his prayer that he cries out to God. I'm going to start in, uh, let me start in verse, let me start in verse 4. It says, when I, Nehemiah, heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heavens. And I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, how awesome you are, who keeps his covenant, keeps his promise of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant and that he is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israel, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've made some mistakes. We've, we've gone astray and we've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the decrees and the commandments and the laws that you gave us. Remember the instructions that you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if you are exiled people, even if you are in the, the furthest horizon, I will gather you. And I will bring you back to the place I have chosen 
as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, God, for whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand, Lord. Let your ear be attentive to my prayer and to the prayers of your servants who delight in your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. For I am the cupbearer to the king, the bartender to the king. And now Nehemiah is going to go to the king and ask permission if he could go and rebuild the walls. Bartender taking a step out in faith to do something that he's not qualified to do, but feels a calling, feels a breaking in his spirit for his people that are hurting. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will just help me be able to communicate this message in a way that everyone in here can understand, no matter where they're at in life, no matter their age, no matter uh, their lot, Lord. I pray, Father, that this word will inspire them and equip them to be able to live out all that you've created them to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, who's pumped that the New England Patriots lost, by the way? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I wasn't here last Sunday. I probably would have preached a whole sermon on that. Um, but uh, anyways, wow. Uh, where are we? Okay. So what, one of uh, our favorite shows as a family to watch is uh, this show, uh, Shark Tank. Anyone ever watched Shark Tank before? Everybody. You've, everybody's seen Shark Tank. How awesome is it? I mean, these people come in with these like loony crazy ideas and they they do their pitch and and some of them are, are just I mean kind of dumb let's be honest and then some of them are are like head scratching like how did I not think of that I mean how many times did you see the dollar signs flying from your bank account because you didn't come up with that idea and a lot of times these people that come on the show uh, they're they're not the most qualified people at all and to be honest, they don't even really come up with the, the, the greatest things. I mean, the, the one dude, if you Google the biggest success story from Shark Tank, you'll find a dude that put a smiley face on a sponge. And now he's worth $50 million. Scrub daddy making some bills. I, I mean, another person, uh, one, one of the other successful people, it, the, the whole premise of their invention was to combine a blanket and a hoodie. And you have the comfy hoodie footy that sold $10 million. Anybody have one of those? You know, I, it's, it's unbelievable. And so we were watching it with our family, <clears throat> and uh, uh, Judah was really into it. Our kids really get into it. Lily's like, like on the edge of their seat. Are they going to get a deal, Daddy? Are they gonna, do they have sales? My kids don't know like margin rates now. They know like, like cash flow analysis. Like our kids, it's good. It's, it's educational, right? And so uh, the other night, there was this kid on that was basically the same age as Judah. And he was a Lego maniac. And uh, th this kid loved Legos, and he, he had this problem, this problem with Legos. I don't know if maybe you, you've experienced this with your kids, is that they fall apart. And this kid, he, he would have a, a sister, but when he was playing with his Legos, his sister would go over and bump into him, and the Lego would fall on the ground and explode, and the kid would cry. And Judah's like, I can relate to that. I battle that all the time. I've been to therapy for six months because of all the Legos my sister has destroyed. Just kidding, not, not yet. Maybe one day he, he will because of his Lego destruction. But Judah's like, I can relate to this kid. And th this kid, though, he saw a problem with the Legos falling apart, and he developed this kid. <laughs> Unbelievable, this kid. He developed a glue that you could put on each Lego piece that is non-toxic, 
and it will hold all your Legos together so that when your sister comes over and knocks them down, they will stay together and you can laugh in her face and say, try, try again, honey. Uh, but then the best part is when you put it back in water, it disintegrates and it, the Lego pieces can come apart. And this kid got like a, a, a $250,000 deal from Mark Cuban for his Lego glue. And Judah is, is thinking about this like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that? But this is the attitude that that kid had, is he saw a problem, and he had an attitude that said, somebody's going to fix this, might as well be me. And now he's reaping in the dollar, dollar, dollar bills, y'all, because of it. And that's the same attitude that Nehemiah had. Nehemiah is, he's a bartender. He's not a builder. He's not a pastor. He, he's he's the, the bartender for the king. And yet his heart begins to break because of this crisis that is going on in his hometown. His, his family, his ancestors are being persecuted. They have no one to protect them. They have no city. It's in ruins. The, the walls are still broken down. It's been 10 years. It's been almost 15 years, and, and still no one has fixed these walls. There's been people that will walk by it and say, man, somebody needs to fix that. When is someone going to step up and, and rebuild these walls? And, and, and a lot of times that's the way we look at problems in life. A lot of times we could have that same attitude with life is we look at a problem and say, man, somebody really needs to clean that up. Man, another, I'll just throw in another shooting in Asbury Park. Man, someone really needs to do something about that, man. The, the graduation rate is, is, is still at this level. Man, someone really needs to help those kids out there in those cities, man. I wonder when someone's going to step up and do it. And that is the attitude that so many people had as they were walking by that, that rubble in Israel. But then Nehemiah says, you know what? If someone's going to rebuild these walls, might as well be me. I'm not qualified. I don't have a degree. I'm not a builder. I'm not a carpenter. But if somebody's going to do it, God, it might as well be me. And then he begins to pray to God and remind God of the promise that he made to his people. See, a lot of times we need to remember that God is a promise keeper. That what God has promised to us, he will fulfill. But this is what happens. God's promises require participation. Your participation. They never change. They never fail. But they require you to participate in what God has promised he was going to do. And so often, uh, and this is kind of like what Nehemiah did, he found comfort outside of God. Do you know that you can find comfort outside of God? But you can never find fulfillment outside of God. You will never feel fulfilled going on, making, making money here, serving yourself, loving yourself. You'll never feel fulfilled until you find that fulfillment in God. And that's what Nehemiah was able to do. And what Nehemiah does is he, he goes to the king and, and says, Mr. King, I, I have my family back home, and, and, and they're, they're not doing good. The, 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 the city is in rubble, and my heart is breaking for them. I, I want to go back to uh, my city, and I want to help rebuild these walls. And, and he found favor in the sight of the king. And, and what I love about Nehemiah, because so often when, when we get these ideas or we see a problem, the first thing we do is we disqualify ourselves. I'm not good enough. I, I, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. That's not my job. 
But there is somebody in here today that you have an idea inside of you that has the potential to make more money than Mark Cuban. And the reason why you're so silent is because you don't believe it. There is, there is somebody in here today that has the potential to write a, a New York best-selling book with the testimony that you have, with the calling that you have in your life, with, with this idea that you have. You have that potential. One of the, the richest places in the world, I've heard it said before, I love it, it is not the, the oil fields of, of, of Saudi Arabia or the diamond mines in South Africa, but it is the graveyards where so many people have buried their dreams and inventions and hopes because they never had enough faith to believe in themselves or believe in God in them, and they never took that step out in faith and said, might as well be me. Somebody's going to do it. Might as well be me. See, it sounds a little bit like this. I wrote this down. Somebody has to end this horrible family legacy and start a new one. Might as well be me. Somebody has to stand up to injustice and not look the other way. Might as well be me. Somebody has to step up and be a leader. Might as well be me. Someone has to believe the promise of God still stands in my life. Might as well be me. Someone has to step up and stop complaining that you didn't have a dad and start being a dad. Might as well be me. Someone needs to step up and say, I want to be a mentor to some young people in my community. Might as well be me. Someone needs to be able to allow the healing power of God to manifest in their life and not ask somebody else to lay hands on that person, but be the one to be bold enough to lay hands on that person. Might as well be me. Somebody's going to do it. It might as well be me. Stop always looking for other people to solve the problems and allow God to operate through you. You are a problem solver. You are a miracle worker with Christ in you. You need to learn to see who you are in Christ and not just see yourself through your past and your flaws and your dysfunction. Might as well be you. That's the kind of attitude that that Nehemiah had, man. And so often we just disqualify ourselves. We don't see any potential in ourselves because we know our sins, we know our flaws better than anybody else. Nehemiah didn't just walk by the problem. He stepped up in faith and believed that God is a promise keeper. I feel like one of the things that causes us to not want to step out is, is fear, right? I know that that's a word we hear a lot about is fear. You know, we say we want to do things. It's so easy to say things, but, but then when push comes to shove, when you have to make a decision and you know that that decision is going to cost you something, it's so easy just to, to stay the course or stay in our comfort zone. I, I remember when I was, I was 24 years old and I uh, graduated from University of Maryland, had an uh, economics degree and had been working uh, this job in, uh, um, it was in, uh, where was it, Bridgewater. I had to drive every morning, 287. Oh, my gosh. Brutal. Anybody ever have to drive on 287 to get to work? Nightmare. Let me tell you, I had some expletives for about five people every single day. That was before I was a pastor. I never would do that now, I promise you, right? The elders would kick me out. Uh, but I, I, I was going up there, but I, I had this heart for Asbury. Like, I don't know why. It just was, was where God was calling me, and, and I, would, I would work uh, up at Mass Mutual five days a week, and then on Saturdays, 
uh, I would meet one of my buddies, and, and we would just walk around Main Street, and we would pray for people, and we would have these matching backpacks. It was not the best idea. People thought we were Mormons, and, and, but we would, we, we would pass out. No offense. I love Mormons, uh, but that's what we got. They were like, that was the first thing people said to us. They're like, are you Mormons? I'm like, no, we're Christians. <laughs> What's the difference? You know, uh, but we're like handing out waters to people, and we would do that every Saturday, and and, and then all of a sudden, uh, there was an opportunity uh, because the associate pastor uh, had uh, left my father's church, and uh, he was speaking every single Wednesday night. And um, my father didn't come to me and really ask, but I knew that there was this opening, and there was nobody else stepping up to do it. And uh, I was certainly the least qualified person to do it. Rick, you would have been great at that. You would have been, you were so qualified for that. So were you, Sandy, so qualified for that. And God laid it on my heart. How, how did he do that? I was not qualified for this. I had been saved for maybe like, like two years. I was still very rough around the edges. I, I was not polished by any means. I, I had so many issues I was still working on in my own life. And I, I remember I, I sat down and turned on the television and was watching this sermon uh, that was from one of my favorite pastors. His name is Pastor Jensen Franklin. And he was preaching this sermon from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. And, and he was talking about when God was, was calling him and uh, how, how we need to have this, this attitude that when God is leading you, that you become, he would call it fat. Yet you need to be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. I was like, I want to be the fattest person in the world. Like, that's me. Uh, and so this was, the, this was the passage. This is what it said. And this is Isaiah. And Isaiah was, was being called by God to do something outside of his comfort zone. And he said, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. I got issues. I got sins. I got flaws. I, uh, I got some dysfunction in my family. And I live among people of unclean lips. I don't come from a good family lineage. Like my family's divorced. I, I got, I, I got a, a, an uncle who's in prison. Like I, I don't come from a good family lineage. It's all the people in my family are unclean. And my eyes have seen the king of the almighty. And then one of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which had been taken from the tongs of the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this is, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us, says the Lord. And Isaiah said, here I am, send Mike. <laughs> Mike's awesome. You'd love Mike. Mike is such a good Christian. He never says a bad word. He gives the best hugs. He's a greeter, serves on our altar team. Send Monica. Oh, my gosh, Monica. Great cook. She'd be great for the soup. She could have her own feeding. Send Monica. No, don't send Mike. Don't send Monica. Send me. How about we have a rebirth of that spirit at Shore Christian Church? When we see a problem, when we see something that our heart breaks, we don't call Pastor Isaac and say, Pastor Isaac, you need to do something about this. No, we say, God, Give me the ability to go out and be a vessel for you to solve that problem. Let me be the ones, rather than calling somebody else to lay hands on them, give me the strength to lay hands on them and pray for them and encourage them and build them up in Christ and invite them to a service. Allow me to be your vessel of change rather than saying, you know what, go send somebody else. No, here I am, Lord. 
Somebody needs to do something about the homeless veterans in, in, in the Jersey Shore. Here I am, Lord. Somebody needs to do something about the, the, the graduation rate in Asbury Park. Here I am, Lord. Somebody needs to do something about all the injustice being done in this city or that. Here I am, Lord. Somebody needs to do something uh, about uh, uh, this, this, the, the people that are homeless under the bridge in Asbury. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me. Send me. We, somebody needs to do something about this church not having its own building. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Use my business to help fund the gospel for Jesus Christ. Here I am, Lord. Don't always look for somebody else. And, and so often what we do is we say, God, you, I, I, I'm not qualified. I have so much sin in my life. I, 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 I'm just new to this whole church thing. You let God put his hand on you. He'll raise you up. He'll give you the strength to overcome all the limitations that you have because of your past, because of where you came from, because of what was done to you. God will put his hand on you and heal you of that. In the same way he did that for Isaiah, he'll do that for you. In the same way he did that for Saul, he'll turn, him, turn you into a Paul for your generation and transform transform you in one moment when you have an attitude that says, might as well be me. And here are, as we, as we close, you guys getting something? I hope I don't just seem like a raving lunatic up here with a microphone on Sunday morning. Sometimes you people scare me. You look at me like I'm crazy. And I probably am, but it's all good for the kingdom. Amen. Number one. You want to be a might as well be me person, you got to be willing to stand alone. No way around it. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. He's got the letters from the king. He's going there to rebuild. He's stepping out in faith. I'm not qualified. I'm a bartender trying to be a builder. Steps up. He's expecting everyone to be pumped that he shows up. Says verse 9, so when I went with the governors of Euphrates and gave them the king's letters, the king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Amorite official heard about this, they were greatly disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Not everyone is going to be excited when you start to actually make a change. Not everyone wants you to change the direction of your life. I hope you realize that. When, when, you, when you get pumped, say, man, I'm, I'm not going to live like that any longer, there's going to be some people that like the old you better than the new you because the new you scares them. The new you challenges them. The new you makes them feel guilty about want, not, making, not making the same changes that they wish they could, but you're taking a step out in faith. And they'll hate on you many times, and they'll talk about you, and they'll make you feel guilty about stepping out in faith, making a change, and they'll make you seem like, like, like uh, uh, you're, you're, you've changed or you think you're better than everybody else. Let me tell you this. I'd ba rather be alone than be with the wrong people still doing the wrong things. And some of you, you need to be okay with standing alone for a season doing the right things because it's the step in the right direction. Nehemiah had to stand alone. You're going to have to stand alone many times, but you're not alone. I thought of, uh, in the Bible, uh, David. David was a shepherd boy. You guys probably know a lot of the story, and he was the only one willing to step out in faith. His own family, his own brothers mocked and ridiculed his faith. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? Anyone ever say that to you? 
It's, it's just trying to manipulate you into uh, not stepping out and being better, a better version of yourself. A lot of people wish they had the faith that you have. Don't let them break you. Don't let them discourage you. And David, the only one who was out on the battlefield willing to fight this giant, everybody else called him cray-cray, called him stupid, called him arrogant, but David knew who he was in Christ, and he had to stand alone for that season. Paul, in the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, listen, this is Paul. This guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's getting ready to be executed. You would think he would have some support. It says, at my first defense, Paul said, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Gosh, that, excuse my language, kind of sucks. You're in your most vulnerable place and everyone deserts you? Turn to the person to the left of you and say, even you? Did it get a little awkward there? <laughs> I guess everyone turned and you didn't actually look each other in the eyes, so it wasn't that awkward. Imagine that. Imagine that. At your greatest moment of need, she walks out on you. He walks out on you. But this is what, oh gosh, this, this is what separates a man of, of mediocrity and a man of faith. This is what, what Paul says. May it not be held against them. Stop holding a grudge with the people who weren't there for you when you needed them the most. Let it go. They weren't there. They were wrong. So what? Move on. They forsook you. But you know what? You're not perfect either, sweetheart. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is it. This is the, this, I, I, I love the butts in the Bible. <laughs> say, I love butts. No, 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 no. Don't say that. <clears throat> but, ah, there it is. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. They might not stand with me. She might not stand with me. But the Lord will always stand with me. They might have deserted me when I needed them the most. But I'm not even going to hold it against them. Because the Lord will be by my side. He's a promise keeper. And one of his promises is that even though I may fall and I may fail. He could always fly faster than I fall. And underneath me was always his everlasting arms to catch me. He's by my side. And that is the greatest comfort that I could have. Even in the midst of other people deserting me. And there may be a season where people desert you. But you know what? If you could stand and be able to keep the faith in your greatest season of loneliness, man, it will inspire other people to keep the faith in their season of loneliness. Because people don't relate with your successes. Did you realize that? Do you know what people relate to the most? Your failures. Your struggles. And if you can't struggle and keep the faith, you'll never be able to inspire other people who are struggling to keep the faith. That's my next point, number two. Number one, you have to be willing to stand alone. Number two, might as well be people will always inspire other people. I remember uh, um, this past week I was meeting with the director of the, our Dream Center, Mary McNeil. 
and uh, had a great time talking about the vision for the Dream Center this year and what we want to do with the ministries and going forward. And she really opened up to me and, and was sharing with me how the reason that she had a heart for Asbury Park and uh, was came, she moved down from North Jersey to be here just to serve this city. She said, the, the reason why I did that, yes, it was because of God, but, but it was because you inspired me because of what you did in your life, because of what you did when you were 24 years old and, and had a might as well be me attitude. It might, made me want to have a might as well be me attitude because what happens is that your faith will always inspire other people's faith. Remember I told you about David by himself, alone, the only one on the battlefield? And what happened was is, is David... He had this, this faith to run at the giant, and, and he, he, he took the giant's head off, literally cut his head off. And, and, and all of a sudden, when the people of Israel, who were once in fear, saw his faith, all of a sudden it ignited their faith to overcome their fears. And they began to chase and begin to fight, because that's what happens when you have faith. It always inspires other people alongside you that are, that are looking at you. It will inspire them to chase their dreams. People are watching you. Ed, because you're sitting right there, just come up on the stage real fast. Um, hustle up. Time, time is, is ticking. See, because, can you make that jump? <laughs> people are watching you. You realize that, right? Nobody lives unto themselves and nobody dies unto themselves. And people are watching how you're going to respond to this crisis that you're in. People are watching how you're going to raise your kids. People, your kids are watching what you do and how you treat mom. People are watching the decisions that you make. And so often you could either inspire them or you could be used to destroy their dreams because of how you live and you, how you respond in your moments of weakness, in your moments of crisis. I know that that's a heavy crown to, to carry, but that's gospel. That's the truth. And so often, because we don't have the right motivation, we make the wrong decisions. See, there, there's something that's motivating you. What's motivating you? This is a, a two-by-four beam, right? Looks more like a one-by-three, but nevertheless. It's a, a beam right here, okay, Ed? This is what I'm going to have you do. <clears throat> I'm going to give you $10, all right? If uh, you could walk on that beam without falling, both hands out, and go like this, all right? Think he could do it? Stop, 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 stop. Think he could do it? Who, who thinks he could do it? Just clap your hands. All right, all right, all right. Who thinks he's going to stumble and fall? Clap your hands. <laughs> that was his wife, I think, probably. Uh, <clears throat> All right, all right, you ready, Ed? Moment of truth, let's do it, let's do it. All right. Boom. <laughs> all right, all right, that's in that show off. Now you're just showing off. Good job, that was awesome. All right, now we're, we're, we, don't, we don't have it, but I'm, I'm going to, can you pretend for a second? You're going to be honest, right? I mean, you're in church, talking to your pastor, you're going to be honest, right? If I took this same beam, and doubled its size, okay? And I'll give you the same $10, same $10, all right? But I'm going to put that beam in between two 
hundred-story buildings, and it's a, it's, it's a windy day out, and I'm going to give you $10, same beam, to do the same thing, hands out, would you do it? $10. I mean, I guess, how, how desperate are you right now? You wouldn't, right? No. You wouldn't, he wouldn't, who would, no one would do that, right? No. Now, now, same, same situation, okay? Same situation, all right? Same beam, same 200-story buildings, same wind factor, 20-mile-an-hour winds. You got to go like this, but the only thing different is I'm not going to give you $10. But in the building on the other side of you is Sherry, me, Diamond, Judah, Lily, Dewey, and that building is on fire, and you're our only hope. Would you do it? Not a, what'd you say? Without a thought. Without a thought. That's right. Without a thought. Same exact situation. The only thing that changed was his motivation. See, when you find the right motivation, man, the things that you could do are, you would amaze yourself at what you are capable of with Christ in you when you have the right motivation. If you realize the potential, not just to change you, but change the people around you. I mean, I'll talk to the parents for, for a second here. You have no idea. Your kids are watching you. And you have the ability to inspire them to chase their dreams. What do you do when it gets tough? You complain, you, put, you blame everybody else, you blame, blame your, I'm a victim, it's everybody else's fault, I'm not treated fair. You know what, your kids are going to see you when you're at your moment of weakness, and they're going to do the exact same thing that you do. But if you say, you know what, even though it's not fair, I believe that I'm an overcomer. I believe that there is potential in me that has not yet been tapped, and I'm going to push through the pain. Your kids are going to see that, and when they feel the pain, they're not going to give up, but they're going to be an overcomer just like you. And your friends are going to see that in you, and your coworkers are going to see that in you. And what is going to change from jealousy is going to become inspiration, and rather than standing alone, all of a sudden, all these people are going to come beside you because they're going to see the faith in you, and it's going to inspire them to chase their dreams. Thank, thank you, Ed. Appreciate that. You could take that two by four with you. Or put it over there. Thank you. What is your motivation? Num number three. Number one is might as well be me people have to stand alone. Number two, might as well be me people will inspire others. And number three, might as well be me people have to live with integrity. Stop lying to yourself and lying to other people about what you're going to do just because it sounds good in the moment or it's what they want to hear. <sighs> Are you cool with that? Can you do that? It's, it's, it's hard because we do it all the time. We, we don't even bat an eyelash when people aren't held accountable to what they say any longer. I, I, I mean, all of us, this is something I'm, I'm, I'm putting at the top of my list this year. When I commit to something, when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. 
Because this is what happens. Diamond preached about it so beautifully last Sunday. Is that the feeling that we get when we make a promise doesn't carry into the moment when we have to carry out that promise. Man, it feels so good to promise that I'm going to help you put together that swing set this April. When it's January. But then April comes, man, I don't feel like putting that swing set together anymore. But a promise has to push through the pain. See, what happens is every single time you lie to yourself and you lie to others, you start hearing that voice that discourages you and you stop believing in yourself. See, that's what destroys dream. When you stop believing in yourself and you stop believing in God, you stop believing in the dream that God put inside of your heart. And I close with this. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Saving Private Ryan. Anyone ever like that? Like that movie? Awesome movie. And Saving Private Ryan is all about a promise. Because there's these four boys in World War II. And three of them died on D-Day. True story. But there was one of them that was still alive, Private Ryan. And they made a promise to the mom that we, we're going to find him. We don't know where he is. We know he's in Germany somewhere. We're going we're gonna to go behind enemy lines and we're going to bring back your son. We promise. And the whole part of the movie, they're, they're searching in Germany looking for Private Ryan. Where is he? And they're getting shot at. People are dying. And yet, even though they had pain, they made a promise. And at the very end of the movie, they finally find Private Ryan. And there's this, this battle that takes place over a bridge. And, and people are getting shot up like crazy. And, and all the, 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 the army officers that, that made this promise that they were going to bring back Private Ryan, they're getting shot and they're dying left and right. And then this beautiful scene is at the very end as the helicopter has come. And they've rescued Private Ryan. And so many people have died because of this promise. And then there's Tom Hanks. And, and Tom Hanks looks at Private Ryan as he's bleeding out. It's his his last breath and he grabs Matt Damon who's playing Private Ryan by the, by the shirt and says, do you see the sacrifice that we made? Look around. You see all these people who died to keep this promise. You promised me that you're going to make it worth it. Go and live your life to the fullest. Go and make something of yourself so that we didn't die in vain. It's one of the most powerful scenes of any movie. And it reminds me of exactly what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus made a promise to us that I'm going to die for you. That I'm, I'm not going to feel like it in the moment. It's going to be painful. It's going to be brutal. But going to the cross, I have a picture of Mike and Monica in my mind that pushes me through the pain. And I'm going to fulfill this promise that I'm going to die so that they could be free. I'm going to die so that they could have abundant life, eternal life, because they can't do this on their own. And Jesus, with his last dying breath, said it is finished. And he kept his promise in spite of the pain. He is a promise keeper. That is who he is. But if he was here today, which he is, and if he had a microphone, which I believe he, 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 through me, maybe he does, he would say to you, go and live your life. I died for you. I gave it all for you. Stop living so mediocre. Stop always thinking that you're not good enough, that your sins of your past define you. I paid for them. I covered them. Go and make something of your life. Stop living just for frivolous things and holding grudges with all these people where I died for you and you're not perfect either. You need to go and live your life of freedom. Chase your dreams. I died so that you can be 
free. And if you could see that as your motivation, Jesus, you kept your promise to me. I'm going to keep my promises to you. Man, imagine that. If somebody right after church, and there's a car flying, and they push, and they get hit by that car, they save your life. And as they're dying, they say to you, go and love your kids. You think you're going to honor that promise? Of course you would. This year is going to be a year you honor your promises to God. You, you just took them for granted so many years before. This is the year that you hold yourself accountable to the promises that you are making. Promises that you're making to your wife. It's not just words. This year they're actions. I'm going to hold myself accountable because of the, the real promise keeper. Didn't break his promises to me. I'm going to be one who keeps them to him and to others. And I'm going to live with a might as well be me attitude. Let's just stand to our feet if, if you're able to. Amen. Just with everyone in, in, in the balcony, if we could just have this moment, if you just, just bow your heads right now. What is it in your life that, that dream that, that you know is there? Or you see something in this world that just breaks your heart. See something in this city that just breaks your heart. You see a problem and you think it's somebody else's responsibility to fill it. I pray that this morning that this message will convict you to have that might as well be me attitude. Maybe there's someone in here with an idea, a dream, but you feel so unqualified to step out in faith and you're so afraid that you're going to lose the little that you have if you step out and chase that dream. I pray, number one, that you will hear God on what to do. And even if it's not what you want to hear, You'll still take that first step out in faith. Even if I have to stand alone, I know that God is with me. Even if other people desert me, God will help me through this. God, I pray that this year we will be promise keepers. Man, if, if, if that's your prayer, I just want you to put your hand over your heart. Don't do it just because everybody else is doing it. Do it because you have conviction that this year, I want to be a promise keeper. I want to keep the promises I make to God. I want to keep the promises I make to myself. And I want to keep the promises I make to others. I may have fallen short in this area so many times. I may have just said things out of emotion and then when the emotion fades, I don't follow through on what I said. God, forgive us, forgive me for breaking those promises, God. God, forgive me for all the people that I said I was going to do something for and, and I fell short. All the promises that I made to myself, I was going to write a book, I was 
I was going to do this or do that, and I, I broke that promise to myself. All the promises I made to you, God, forgive me for breaking those promises. But this year is going to be different. This year, I'm not going to over-promise and under-deliver. This year, my word is going to be my bond. God, I pray that we will lock in the right things. We will commit to the right things this year. That we will step out in faith when we have to and ignore those distractions when we have to that are trying to distract us or pull us away from the things that you have called us to do. We thank you for that. We will be promise keepers in 2020. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap.